Awful Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. And on this episode, I'm going to tell you about a Florida killer and rapist. His name is James Winkles, a.k.a. Jimmy Delano Hawk. Now, not to be confused with Mr. Winkle or Wrinkles the Clown. Mr. Winkle is a Hollywood legend, having sold thousands of books, toys, and calendars and appearing on shows like Sex and the City. He was the attraction at a bookstore in California before Carrie's book signing, and she was jealous of Mr. Winkle. Who's Mr. Winkle? Mr. Winkle is a tiny little dog that looks like it's a cross between a bear and, I don't know, like a chihuahua. It doesn't even look like a dog. And this woman stumbled upon him while she was driving one night. She doesn't know where he came from. She just saw him on the side of the road. He was a rescued street orphan. I found him on the side of the road, and it was late at night, and I was trying to find gas and coffee on the outskirts of town. And um, it was strange. I got lost, and I was, like, turning around, and I was so tired, and I, I, my headlights, while I was turning around, caught this little tuft of fluff on the side of the road. And, um, you know, I thought it might be, like, a, a shipwrecked alien or something. <laughs> but uh, I got out to inspect, and he, it, was, it was really... A, a very, um, I don't know how we call it, almost a mystical encounter because yeah. he, he like hobbled into my arms in the glow of my headlights like he'd been waiting for me there. And he was like, ear, he had ear infections and mouth infections and he had, was flea ridden and real mangy. So people say, how could anyone throw out something that's cute? And I always say, um, he, um, you know, he wasn't this cute when I found him. This is the product of uh, lots of love and, and an inspired haircut <laughs> and a full on makeover. <laughs> So Mr. Winkle is so cute. He's kind of got like this tongue that he can't, it won't fit in his mouth. It's too long. It just kind of hangs out. And he's got these big brown eyes and he's absolutely adorable. And there's a Mr. Winkle stuffed animal, which of course I had to buy. Um, He was very popular. There were calendars and all kinds of things. Yes. And he was even on Sex in the City. So, you know, that validated my love for Mr. Winkle. And then, oh, by the way, you can go to Instagram, my Instagram page, Full Rigor Podcast. I have a picture of Mr. Winkle up there standing next to his stuffed animal doppelganger. So in addition to Mr. Winkle and James Winkles, the killer rapist, you have a clown called Mr. Wrinkles, Wrinkles the Clown. And this guy lives in Southwest Florida. And if you call him up, you actually summon him to your house. And he is one scary clown. You know, no one was hiring me when I was just a regular clown. I just thought, yeah, you know, maybe I'll give it a little edge. How are you, Wrinkles the Clown? Leave me a message, I'll call you back. Guys, there's something outside. It's Wrinkles the Clown. I'm not going to even give you his phone number because I don't want you to go down that rabbit hole. I need you to come get these kids. You're scared of little people who can't defend themselves. I'll take this baseball bat and beat your parents in. Anyway, James Winkles was responsible for a series of murders, including that of a Florida real estate agent whose headless body was found in a river in the early 1980s. The agent's name, Margot Delamon. And she was going to go meet a prospective client, but she was never seen alive again. October of 1981, the real estate business was booming in Pinellas County. That's where you have Tampa. That's in the area of St. Pete. 
And this was especially true for wife and mother Margot Delamont. So on the morning of October 3rd, 1981, Margot was scheduled to show a few homes to prospective buyers. However, when a couple got to the real estate office, they found Margot's car, but no Margot. So once her co-workers caught wind of what happened, that she was not there and missing, they were worried because Margot was known for keeping all of her appointments. She was very punctual. So Delamont's co-worker recounts a threatening man who visited a model home before Delamont's disappearance. When I came to work, my daughter dropped me off at the model home. So I was there without a car and all by myself. I noticed there was a truck already there before the opening hours. The home was isolated. It was not a safe situation for a woman to be working alone in that site. There was a bad vibration, just just a really bad feeling. Then I unlocked the house and went inside and set up for the working day. And all of a sudden this man, he came roaring into the house, came by me, and he immediately went upstairs. When I saw his face, I had no doubt that he was the same man that was in the open house the week before. I could hear him up above me in the master bedroom. And I thought, what is he doing upstairs? You hear a little bit of foot traffic up above the head. And this went on for 15 or 20 minutes. I felt so unsafe. I knew I couldn't leave the house. There was no place to go. I couldn't run because if he had a truck, he could just box me in on the road and pull me in the truck or run me down. And at that point, I heard a car outside. And then the man ran down the stairs and left the building site. I see Mr. Oden, my boss, and I said, I'm scared to death. When Marco disappeared, I called the sheriff's department and I explained what happened. In hindsight, I realized I was a hair's breadth away from being the victim. Man. Well, authorities found Margot's car. They found it unlocked in normal condition. They talked to her co-workers, the other real estate agents, and they said they last saw her on the evening of October 1st. Then they learned that there was an estranged husband, Bob, who was out of town at the time of her disappearance, or so he said, while visiting his mom in New York. And Margot's daughter, Dee Dee, meanwhile, was living with the Margot's parents in Texas. So she was kind of on her own, and investigators traveled to the apartment Margot and Bob had shared, but nothing there was out of place. There was no signs of struggle. They then called Bob, and he told them over the phone he had last spoken to Margot the night before she disappeared, and that everything seemed to be normal with her, but 
They were still suspicious because you always have to be suspicious of the ex or estranged husband. They said, hey, Bob, you need to return to the area. So he returned from New York, was summoned by authorities for questioning. He claimed he and Margot were trying to work on issues in their marriage, but authorities still asked him, hey, you need to take a polygraph. So he did and he passed. And they had to consider other possible suspects at that point. Now, they also spoke to Margot's co-workers again, and they told them that the night before she went missing, Margot had scheduled a date with a man named Don. So they investigated Don. He admitted planning the date with Margot on the night before she vanished, but he said that he decided not to go, instead stayed home with his wife. Uh. Wow. Don was going to step out on his wife. So when cops found out he was married, that obviously seemed very suspicious. So the detective, Mike Madden, who's with the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office, said that he also asked Don to take a polygraph, which he passed. And his wife confirmed his alibi. I don't know if they told her, though, that he was supposed to go out on a date with this woman. Wow. So it left investigators back at square one. Now, nearly three weeks later, some fishermen on the Withlacoochee River were stunned when their dog ran off and uncovered a headless body. Citrus County authorities rushed to the scene. They found the body with no head in an advanced state of decomposition. It's a very disturbing discovery, and it changed everything. Investigators located the badly decomposed body with no head. This isn't your typical type of killing. This was a heinous crime. We needed to find the person responsible. The body was taken to the medical examiner's office where it was examined. The medical examiner concluded the body belonged to a young female who had been there for months, but they said the body did not belong to Margot. They believe it was an African-American woman who had been reported missing in Citrus County months earlier. But then testing showed it wasn't that woman either. So authorities grew increasingly disturbed and began to wonder, hey, do we have a serial killer on the loose here in Florida? Because We've got a lot of missing women, and now we've got this headless body. Four different women had all gone missing from neighboring counties in recent months. From September of 1980, a night clerk named Cynthia Clements went missing. Her body was found in a wooded area six months later. Then a week after Clements' disappearance, 19-year-old Elizabeth Graham, who was a dog groomer, vanished. She was going on a house call, you know, in the van that they take the dog in there and wash it and groom it. Well, eight months later, they found the van, but they didn't find her. And then eight months later, another woman, Barbara Barkley, went missing. She was heading to her job at a furniture store, and four months after that, Margot disappeared. So there is this spate of women that turned up missing. I always hate that term, turned up missing, because if you're missing, how do you turn up? But anyway, three months after Margot's disappearance, there was another break in the case. Local authorities received a call from detectives in Orlando. They said, hey, you know what? We've got a similar case here to your case in Pinellas County. They reported a real estate agent had just been abducted. Now, this is a really big case because she escaped the abductor. They said this male suspect told the female realtor that he wanted to look at a few houses. I see a little MO here, modus operandi. And she got in his car with him to show him the properties. Never do that. So he then abducted her at knife point. He pulled out a knife and the handles in the car, she couldn't open the door. The door wouldn't open. It was like a cop car. It was at that time that Donna saw law enforcement in the area there at the gas station. 
she notices that the car has no handles to get out. She realizes if she doesn't escape this, she's afraid of what might happen to her. Well, fortunately, this woman was able to escape when her abductor stopped for gas. So he gets out of the car and she sees, okay, there's no handle. I can't open this door. So she slides over. She's tied up. And she gets out of his door, of the driver's side door, and she sees a police officer in the parking lot, and she manages to get his attention. She makes a beeline for a deputy she sees parked across the street, and she makes her way to safety. So when the abductor comes out after paying for the gas, he sees the cop, he sees her out of the car, and he takes off on foot. So they chase after him. They have a chase on foot. Other deputies arrive, and... He hides, they find him, and wrestle him to the ground. And after a while, they finally catch him, and he's arrested. And so authorities notice the similarities in this case to the disappearance of Margot Delamont in Pinellas County, that local realtor. And a fingerprint check showed the man who'd abducted the realtor from Orlando was named James Delano Winkles. A resident of Pinellas County, he'd recently gotten into trouble for trying to sell land that didn't belong to him. The same land where the fishing couple had found the headless body. Aha! Well, authorities from Pinellas County traveled to Orlando to interview Winkles. He refused to talk to them. He clammed up. So although he was convicted of abducting the realtor in Orlando, authorities were not able to link him to any of the other disappearances. And then seven months after Margot's disappearance, there was another gruesome discovery. On May 24th, 1982, Buck and Geraldine Hope were picking blackberries with a friend on this really big piece of property. And the couple who owned the property, their son, who was also a real estate agent, his name was Charles Hope, had gone missing two months prior. And when they found a human skull nestled among the blackberry bushes, they feared it might be him. The skull, though, had no mandible, no jaw or teeth. And there were three vertebrae attached. That's like the neck. And DNA testing showed the skull did not belong to the couple's son, but the vertebrae were matched to the headless remains that were found in the Withlacoochee River. What do you know? They found her head. That's amazing. So, in August of 1993, authorities in Pinellas County went to Citrus County to compare fingerprints of their missing person cases to what had been found in Citrus County, and those fingerprints showed that those remains found in the river did, in fact, belong to Margot. Seven months after her disappearance, authorities finally learned what had happened to Margot Delamone. So you've got Margot's remains identified and Winkles is the most obvious suspect. However, detectives didn't have any evidence linking him to the crime. So it wasn't until February of 1998, apparently Winkles was having bad dreams about his rapes and murders. So he spilled his guts to a cellmate. Like you do when you're locked up. So in February of 1998, investigators got a shocking phone call from an inmate at the state prison, and he says, hey, I know a guy who wants to confess to unsolved homicides and rapes. It was Winkles. And at that point, he was serving a life sentence plus 90 years for the abduction of the realtor in Orlando, Donna Maltby. And now, when he spoke to investigators, he confessed to the abduction and murder of Margot Delamont. And here are the circumstances of her rape and murder. He abducted Delamont sometime between October 3rd and October 21st, 1981. 
So as I said, she was a real estate agent, and Winkles first met her at an open house viewing. He asked her out for a drink, and she refused, because she had the date with Don, the married guy, you know. The next day, he invited her to breakfast, and she agreed. And at breakfast, Winkles asked Delamont to show him secluded properties in the country. Hello, red flag. Delamont took Winkles out to the properties, and at this point, that's when he took advantage of the situation and pulled a knife on her, kidnapped her. Now, Winkles held her captive for four days in an abandoned house that was near his grandmother's house. And during that time, he sexually assaulted her over and over. And then eventually reality kicks in and he realizes, hey, this woman can identify me and she knows her location. I have to kill her. But, you know, he didn't do it in any kind of a violent fashion. He didn't stab her, wring her neck, suffocate her, shoot her. No, Delamon was killed by an overdose of 17 sleeping pills. And then Winkle says he buried her body in Pinellas County. Well, 16 days later, he decided to move the body to Citrus County. And a week after that, he removed the head and took the teeth out and then threw it in that wooded area in the blackberry bushes in Hernando County. It's amazing that they found her body in the river and the head in the blackberry bushes because... Remember, the headless body was found October 21st, 1981, and then identified by fingerprints in August of 83, and Delamont's toothless skull was found May 23rd, 1982. Just crazy. Now, Winkles had been a suspect in both the Graham and Delamont cases. Graham was the young girl who was the poodle groomer, and sometime between September 9th, 1980 and July 3rd, 1981, Winkles abducted and murdered Graham. She worked for the Pampered Poodle. Apparently, Winkles saw this young woman and she excited him. And so he called the business and requested service. He didn't have a poodle, but he called. And he had her sent to an address in the abandoned house that he took Delamont to in hopes of abducting the worker. Well, that girl whom he picked out did not arrive. Instead, Graham arrived at the address. And he decided Graham was just as good as the original girl. Hey, you know. Bird in hand, you go with what you got. And so he carried out his plan. And when Graham opened the van's door, Winkles attacked her. He pushed her down, put a gun to her head, handcuffed her, gagged and blindfolded her, and put her in the back of his station wagon. So he didn't have a creepy white van, but he had a creepy station wagon. He punctured the right tire of the pampered poodle van and stole $20 out of Graham's purse. So, he then claims to have held Graham prisoner for four days and nights at his grandmother's house, just like Delamont. And then he switched his story and said he might have had her at a mobile home on his property in the country instead. But during the captivity, Graham was kept in shackles and forced to engage in several sex acts with Winkles. This guy. So, he feared Graham, just like Delamont, knew where she was, knew the location from looking at magazines with the mailing address, and she knew what he looked like, so he decided to kill her. And he gave her four flexoril muscle relaxants, and so she kind of conked out. And then, using an umbrella to shield the blood spatter, he shot her three times in the top of the head. He then removed her clothes and the sheets on the bed and burned them. He buried Graham's body in Pinellas County. 16 days later, he returned to dig up the body and remove the head. He then took the skull and ran water through it to make sure no spent bullets remained inside, removed the teeth, lower mandible. He then threw the skull in the Steenhatchee River in Lafayette County. Graham's skull, believe it or not, was discovered in July of 1981 
but was not identified by DNA testing until the late 1990s. So until he confessed, Winkles had been a suspect in both the Graham and Delamont cases. However, there was insufficient evidence to charge him. In fact, those cases would have remained unsolved if not for Winkle's confession nearly 18 years later. So you got to give him a little credit for coming forward finally and giving the family some closure. And during the investigation, the evidence was discovered revealing that Winkle's always planned his abductions. The passenger door of his vehicle, as I told you, was fixed so that it couldn't be open. The passenger window was made so that it couldn't be rolled down to prevent the escape of his victims. And he always carried a so-called abduction kit, which contained a piece of rope, handcuffs, gags, sleeping pills, liquor, Vic's VapoRub. I don't know. I guess that's to put under his nose to prevent smelling the decaying body, I guess. And he also had a collection of female undergarments. Unknown if he put them on himself, but, you know, anything goes pretty much with this guy. Now, Winkles waived his right to a jury and pled guilty to both counts of first-degree murder. This was in April of 2002, and he was sentenced to death in April of 2003. So he basically signed his own death warrant by confessing. Then suddenly, he gets really bold and he tells detectives, hey, I've raped and killed 62 women. He claims to have killed a total of 26 people between 1967 and 1982. But he didn't give any information on these claims. The only crime that they found was that he was convicted of assault with intent to commit robbery and attempted robbery in Hamilton County, Florida, in September of 1963 under the name of Jimmy Delano Hawk. So, in May of 2003, Winkles filed a direct appeal to the Florida Supreme Court. He argued that his Sixth Amendment right was violated since the death penalty was not supported by aggravating circumstances found by a jury, and he's right, because he waived a jury trial. So, he also contended that his right to notice about the nature and cause of the accusations was violated since he was not informed of the aggravating circumstances in the indictment. His final arguments were that he did not enter his pleas knowingly and intelligently, and the death sentences were disproportionate. So, you know, basically, he's like, whoa, 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 if I had known you were going to put me to death, I wouldn't have told you about being a bad boy. The Florida Supreme Court affirmed Winkle's convictions and sentence, so he appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. In April of 2005, that petition was denied in October of 2005. So, with all his appeals spent, looks like he was headed for the spike. But James Winkle, who gained notoriety in 1998 when he told prison authorities he had information about unsolved murders of two women, died at the age of 70 in prison at 6.25 a.m., September 10th, 2010, of natural causes. So, he died on death row near Stark while awaiting execution. Either way, he is dead as a doornail and good riddance, Mr. Winkles. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Full Rigor. Hope you enjoyed it. Check out my other episodes. I've got over 130 of them on all kinds of topics. You'll never get bored. Also, check me out on Instagram at Full Rigor Podcast. Give me five stars, please. And don't forget to subscribe and download. Thanks so much for listening to Full Rigor. Until next time.